Today, we reach the final episode of our first season of Odds and Ends. The past few months have been incredibly special, and even eye-opening for me. Every time I come across something that looks, for want of a better word, used, I wonder if it's once been precious to someone, and what stories it may hold. To say goodbye, I'd like to share one last precious object of my own with you. This past week, I celebrated my 23rd birthday. I think perhaps some people may be starting to pick up on my newfound fascination with old stuff, because for the first time in my life, I'm proud to say that I own something vintage, which may surprise you if you've been listening each week. It's a dark wood fold-out writing stand. On its exterior are hand-painted pink roses, and a small drawer for writing implements. When I opened it, I nearly cried. It's filled with unused but completely discordant and mismatching stationery. The leftover paper and envelopes and cards someone has collected over a lifetime. There are even some unused postcards, dated 1985, and a sticker set with a couple of stickers already missing. Someone has sat at this stand and written, possibly love letters, overseas correspondence, journals, tax forms, and maybe even a will. It's brimming with stories, and it's the perfect birthday present. My name is Grace Chapel, and I like things. I'm not really talking about nice clothes or gadgets, though those can be great too. But you know what I get excited about? Movie ticket stubs, birthday cards from 10 years ago, or pressed flowers still in the book you left them in in high school. It's the kind of stuff that goes in a shoebox under the bed, not on the mantelpiece. What is it that makes these things so important to us? And why won't we let them go? Join me each episode as I delve into someone's life, finding out about the treasures that they keep and the memories that those things preserve. This is Odds and Ends for Curio. When I speak to someone new, I'm always looking for a hook or an entry point, a question that feels worth answering, rather than general questions about how you're doing or what the weather's like. Far better than this is, what types of books do you read? What was your first album? What was your first job? The kind of questions I like answering myself. My first job was given to me by my high school drama teacher when I was 17. I had just finished high school and couldn't find anyone willing to employ a freshly graduated private school kid who'd never worked a day in her life, except for my teacher, who brought me on as a stagehand. This meant occasionally making props or finding costumes, but mostly just hanging out and drinking coffee. He would talk to me about theatre and music and stories, and I would listen in awe, too reverent to offer my own meagre opinions. That teacher was Danny Parker. Okay. Let's just talk a little bit. Uh, Hello, hello, hello. I'm talking a little bit. When Danny brings me into his home, we walk down a small staircase into the living room. I've forgotten to forewarn him about what he needs to do on the podcast, and I have to send him off to look for objects to talk about. As I'm setting up, he keeps talking to me from the staircase, which I can now see is lined with old, vintage-style boxes. But they're not new boxes from a discount store, done up in shabby chic, as he calls it. Each one has been collected by Danny throughout his lifetime and filled with precious objects. There's probably more than a dozen of them. (laughs) As each box is opened with childlike enthusiasm, it yields new treasures, too beautiful to believe. Not because of their appearance, but because of the story Danny has for them. He pulls out handwritten letters from his youth, a quill cutter, even a First World War rations box. 
He tells me everything he owns, he's only kept because he's attached meaning to it in some way or other. I merely smile appreciatively. We don't have time for me to get into how thoroughly I approve of every sentiment he utters. He begins to narrow his options down by reasoning that there are things that you love because of its history, and things that you love because of your history with it, which will offer different points of interest. I've got lots of books, it's my latest book I'm producing. Um, well, and obviously they mean something to me, because they're my books, but I mean anybody else. Although someone did come to school today as the girl in that book, it was called Weekday. Danny grew up in Bedfordshire, England, where he lived with his family opposite a graveyard. I asked him what his first job was, and apparently this is a coincidence, but there definitely seems to have been a bit of a theme to his youth. Doing everything from sort of busking in the town centre, juggling and fire eating and doing escapology, through to doing funerals in the week, um, because it was a good steady work. Um, And when I was at home, you know, it was completely usual for Dad to come in and say, come on down, we've got to we've got a pick-up to do, and you'd be in your black suit and going off to some someone's home or an old people's home or whatever and collecting a body and bringing it back and, you know, all due care and love and, and reverence for these, these poor families that have just lost someone that they love. But bizarre world, you know, bizarre time to be, um, you know, a, a 20-something. <laughs> you know, what did you do this morning? Oh, you don't want to know. It's all right. <laughs> um, when you um, bury somebody, in the UK at least, I don't know, I've not been to a funeral in, in Australia, so... The, you've, you, 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 there's a hole prepared, the, the grave is prepared, and you, um, depending on how far you've had to dig, there'll either be water at the bottom, depending on the water table, in which case it will be covered in sawdust so it looks solid. Um, but of course, when, when you get the box down, when, sorry, when you get the coffin down to that level, it flows, it moves, it sort of sways because it floats, you know, it's on the water. Um, that's, that's neither here nor there. But, but there's stories of families asking if they can do the, the burial themselves. And, of course, most undertakers will say, yep, 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 you know, we'll give you a little bit of schooling. And if it's carrying, that's one thing, carrying into the church and carrying out of the church is fairly straightforward. But you get, um, I don't know how irreverent I can be, actually, but you, you do you do get lovely situations where, you know, the shorter of the, the four uncles, you know, isn't getting any box at all. <laughs> you can actually see him trying to bang his shoulder up against the, the bottom of the lid to try and, uh, try and be taller. These days, Danny is, by profession, a storyteller. He still directs plays at schools, but his main passion has become writing children's books, and he's quite good at it. Every now and then he'll pop up in the newspaper, having won this award or that. Today, while he's chatting to me, he's supposed to be preparing to speak at a nationwide children's reading event, which is tomorrow. As time is of the essence, he does eventually whittle his options down to just three things. To begin with, he places a heavy wooden box on the table before me. Well, my first object is... I guess to the to the sort of the uninitiated, it's uh, a box of dominoes. Um, but it's a very special box of dominoes because uh, it's special for co- a couple of reasons. Firstly, they're, they're, they're unique things in that they're handmade, these dominoes, and they're ebony and ivory, which obviously isn't very politically correct anymore. And they have a little brass thing called a spinner in the middle because in certain domino games, you spin them and they... Um, depending on which end. So, so if I'm playing against you and uh, we want to decide who goes first, that's a five and a four. If I spin it, I'll stop it. And then I go first because I got the five. Mm-hmm. And there are various other um, ways of, of playing dominoes. But um, the, the, the reason that these are so important to me is that they were given to me by my father probably 30 years ago, maybe 35 years ago. And they didn't come together. So the box and the dominoes didn't originally together so the box itself is um 
mahogany, which is a, a, a precious or a, a pretty special wood anyway that's often um, you know, uh, spruced by furniture makers in the UK. Um, and it's, uh, it's got a kind of like a, a little mother of pearl inset on the top and a, a slightly broken key um, at the front. And you can still see the remains of what would have been its original kind of um, hessian uh, soft bottom, <laughs> if you like, so that it could be placed on, a, on an equally shiny, beautiful table and not damage the table. Um, but the box would have come separately. The box would have come from an auction that my dad would have attended as a, as a uh, young man himself. And if you have a look at the lines on the box, you can see it's not, it's not industrially made. It's, um, it's obviously been hand finished, hand put together. Um, and uh, it's got this fantastic little brass uh, hinges which aren't fully recessed but they're beautiful on the inside and on the inside it's uh, got a really light sort of blue damask silk lining which again would have would have suggested that it had something really quite precious in it originally um, but the lock is is broken so something somewhere along its life has, has happened um, and then separately to that my dad would have found these dominoes um, because they're just a thing of beauty and the one thing that I think he he gave me more than anything else is um a sort of an appreciation of the beauty of certain things that you would otherwise perhaps look past um and we would talk it's going to sound really dull uh, but we would talk for a long time at a table just like we're sitting at now about where where this ebony would have come from and how long it would have taken somebody to cut 32 pieces of identical size they're never identical look um and then um, if they weren't identical in shade, as some of them are a little bit lighter, how they would have stained them to get them to be the right backs. And then what sort of technologies would have existed back then to, to connect the, the ivory um, to the ebony. And then how, it, just how these things would have been manufactured. And then really for the sole purpose of giving people um, things to do with their time. I'm starting to think I need to hire Danny to describe objects on this podcast. But here we are so much longer, uh, so much later, so much longer after these things were made. And, um, and, and these are the dominoes that I taught my children to play dominoes with. So in terms of um, and my, my daughter is a superstar, but uh, she and I share one particular Parker um, gift, and that is a complete inability to do anything mathematical. <laughs> so there's a game in dominoes called Fives and Threes, where basically at the end of the line, if you're making a domino line, um, if the total of the two ends makes a five or a three or any combination of five and three, so 15 would be um, three fives and five threes, you get as many points as, as there are multiples of five or three in the um, um, in the in the total so we will we, we'll sit down and have a game of fives and threes and i know that her three times table and her five times table in really good shape um and then of course if you hit an 18 you're great because there's there's um there's nine three nine eighteen no what's 18 six six points for 18 because there's three no six twelve yeah you see i'm no good at maths um but what he will have then done is he would have actually put the two together married to the two together and i don't know i wish i did know whether which came first uh, because he would have been he was the sort of man who would have gone searching for a box for his dominoes. Equally, he's the sort of man who would have found a beautiful box and then would have found some dominoes and thought, they'll go beautifully in my box. Now, I know <laughs> you're laughing already, but, but it was the sort of guy he was, and, and he was a really, really significant, um, obviously a significant man in my life, but I've got five brothers and sisters, so and I'm the youngest. So by the time my mum and dad had got to me, I think they were pretty good at parenting. You know, they sort of, they, they, you know how I've got two kids and... I'm, 
probably better with my second than I was with my first growing up because you worry about everything with your first child. And then by the time you get to the sixth, I guess you don't worry about anything <laughs> at all. So we had all sorts of, I had all sorts of freedoms that involved going to the sales with dad as he was, um, you know, as I was growing up and just getting endless stories, really sitting in a car talking about, you know, the thing we just bought and its history and where it would have come from and what we would do with it. We had a lot of um, furniture restoration projects on at any given time. And uh, we had in our big um, shed out the back, we had a thing called a caustic soda tank, which is a massive um, sort of uh, industrial sized tank full of this this very um, uh, lethal kind of fluid caustic soda that would strip paint from furniture. So if you dropped chairs or tables or anything into this and weighted it down for a day or so, when you pulled it out, the paint would look, just fall off. Um, dipping and stripping, they called it. And whenever I play with these and whenever I talk to my kids, um, about these it always becomes a retelling of you know a really important part of my childhood really because we um yeah we we shared plenty of cups of tea in my young life and then a a few uh, small beers in my older life playing dominoes um so yeah that's that's i think i guess why i would choose to take these if the house was burning down you know that old chestnut you know if the house was burning down what would you grab apart from your kids and your your wife and your you know i'm not not even sure about the dogs actually frankly but um But these would be high on my list of of takeaways. Danny describes at length his predilection for things that have had a life of their own and the character that can be found in the hinges of a drawer or beneath the first layer of paint. He tells me a story about how him and his dad would visit the junkyard and find endless treasures amongst another man's rubbish. And I still measure lots of things by these sorts of um, qualities. You know, I really can't do new furniture, modern furniture, Ikea furniture. You know, we, we... we kind of have to in a way because it's, you know, it's, it looks very aesthetically beautiful and, and you put it in your space and you look like you live in Norway and it's all very good. But actually, I want to see how these things are constructed and why why they've lasted hundreds of years, whereas, you know, most of the furniture we now own won't, you know, won't outlive me really. Um, and I think I got that as well, that sense of that sense of our place in things and, and, and who we are in things from um, from those childhood trips. Danny's love for the box is clear. Even as we try to move on, he's pulled back in. Shall I move on? Yeah. Shall I talk about something else? I love this box, though. And what's really interesting is that you can see on it, um, and we'll talk about this in a minute, actually, because these are things that I really love, is that to me the value in this is not that it's mahogany and polished. It's, It's... it's the history in in it. So I know that that stain wasn't on it when, when we got hold of it. And I know pretty well that that's wax. And I know pretty well that that was my son. And I know pretty well when that happened. Um, and I was probably cross. But, um, you know, now I look back and think, gosh, that was a really lovely night. That was a really nice evening when we were sitting around playing threes and fives, fives and threes. Um, we do eventually move on to the next object, an old-looking pine-coloured chest. It's quite simple to look at although it does have the letters HP written on top in green felt-tip pen. As I am a girl of a certain age, I begin to imagine spellbooks and magic wands coming from inside. However, for Danny, it seems, it's the box itself that's magical. Right, now I talked to you a bit earlier about um, dipping and stripping. That box was, um, it's a blanket box. So they, they used to go on the end of a bed, and it used to be before sort of dunas and all that stuff, um, people would have all their blankets in a box so that if it got cold at night they could throw open the box and pull out their blankets so they came in different sizes depending on your bedroom furniture Um, and I grew up with that box 
and it was in my brother's bedroom um, in Sandy in Bedfordshire. And we, we lived in a house that was built in oh, 1627 or something crazy, uh, really, really early. Um, and it was all wooden beamed and, and rickety and sort of um, falling down, really. So it had a kind of rich history in the place that we were in. But that, that box there was painted a very, you can still see a little bit, a sort of an odd pinky, orangey colour hard to distinguish really um and when i was old enough to start dipping furniture with my dad which as i mentioned earlier was quite a it's quite a mark really because he spent a lot of time doing that and i wanted to be out there you know how still um kids want to spend time doing what their parents are doing often and then and then it goes away there's there's a moment when um there's a brilliant have you heard any of um dear evan hansen you know that um song towards the end where with the u-haul trailer it's the mum singing to Evan Hansen and saying, you know, I'll never forget the day that um, a U-Haul trailer parked in our drive um, and we weren't going to let you come because it was the day that dad was leaving and everything became real. But your eyes were so shining at this U-Haul trailer that you had to come and sit in the driving seat. You know, it's that kind of time. Um, and then she sings later, you know, I'll never forget that night when you sat up and said, will there be another, will there be another van tomorrow to take mummy away? Um, that just breaks you up, doesn't it? It's really beautiful. So when I was old enough to start doing that, obviously, because we lived in a house that was pretty much furnished by stuff that my dad had, you know, bought over the years, and uh, a whole there's a whole history in that house, although it's all over the, the world now that we've we've moved from it. Um, this was the most um, straightforward thing for me to start the, the game on because it's square and it's um, uh, uh, and it's planked. So it's not delicate and difficult. It's not like stripping something that's got loads of, you know, sort of inlay or anything. And also, um, it was worthless, really. I mean, it couldn't, if it went wrong, it didn't really matter. Um, but it's basically a plank box. Um, I was super proud of drip, dropping it into the caustic soda and, um, and then pulling it out and scrubbing it down and, and then polishing it up and making it look really beautiful. Uh, I, I sort of promised I'd keep with me all the time because it was the very first one I did and I have kept it with me. But, um, a few years ago, and if you look closely, you'll now see on the top, it's now, um, it's adorned with green felt tip, um, and the letters HP standing for heliport. And, uh, when you get a bit closer, you can see that there's a whole, there's a whole air, you're going to have a look. There's a whole airport drawn on the top in, um, in green felt tip. And that was the handiwork of my son, <laughs> who, as I say, is now, he's now in his teens. But, um, and I, I suspect I was quite cross at the time because, you know, this box was quite important to me, is quite important to me. But it's one of those funny things. There's like a story in this somewhere. Um, but since I decided not to try and do anything about it, it's become even more valuable. It's a little bit like the stain on this box here that I remember the night that that happened. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you, you talk about the value of things versus the cost of something. And you can buy that box for oh, I don't know, $40 probably. It's really not, not an expensive bit of anything. It's, it's, you know, it's a beautiful thing, I think, but it's, it doesn't really cost very much. But now that it's actually been, <laughs> now that it's been personalized <laughs> by my, my son, it's, it's um, priceless. And, um, and always reminds me of, um, you know, that, that, you know, he wouldn't dream of doing that now. You know, you're saying about similarly my, you know, my wanting to go and be with my father. Um, he, he knows if he did that now, <laughs> I'd go absolutely crazy because he's old enough to know better. But there's something completely brilliant about the, the, um, the innocence that, that allowed the child to write on the top of the box. I love that. 
I just love the fact that you know it seemed like a good idea because it's a flat box and he had the right toys and he needed the he needed the environment for those toys and nothing else really mattered. And how lovely to be in that state where you can just sort of you know engage so fully in the moment that you don't care what you're drawing on. I love that. You may have noticed that I don't say a lot in this interview. The truth is, stories just spill out of Danny as though they've been bottled up for years. Maybe for some of these stories, at least they have been. Danny's last treasure is an ordinary-looking mason jar, which seems to be at odds with his distaste for all things new and soulless. It is, however, filled with many unevenly cut-up pieces of paper. Uh, this is something I will never leave, um, and um, although the, the dominoes and, and, the, and the box come from very much my childhood, this comes from the childhood of my daughter, um, and she's um, 11 at the moment. And this was given to me by my daughter about, oh, I suppose a year and a half ago. And the funny thing is that I know that this was actually a project probably at school. They will have, they will have done something like, you know, hey, this would be a good idea as a gift for your mum and dad. Why don't you, um, write down some things that you're grateful for or things that you, you know, you like about your mum and dad and, and give them to them. Um, and my daughter's a real sweetie. She's, 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 she sort of goes a bit above and beyond. Uh, this arrived um, as a gift, complete with, I think, 30, I'm not sure, I count them if you like, um, pieces of paper, maybe one day, one for every day of the month. And each piece of paper has um, been torn out of a, like a ring binding folder and fold over, folded over. And the idea is that you just... You know, when you're not feeling so hot or when you're thinking, gosh, you know, life's a bit too hard, you can open this up, as I'm doing now, and it just makes you feel so happy. So here's one that says, takes me places. And there's a, a camera and a little speech bubble that says, wow, on on that. Now, you know, I, you're, you have an, a heart of ice if, um, if this doesn't um, do you... Um, he asks me for advice. Now, the point here is he asks me for advice. And it says here in Speech Bubbles, Abby, yes, coming. I'm stuck on a story. <laughs> uh, and I write, um, I write children's uh, books. And Abby is you know, a very much my, both my audience and my editor and my critic. And I actually took these into, um, I was doing a talk for <laughs> Snores Loudly. <laughs> S-N-O-R-S. So we're not very good at English or maths. Um, the, um, uh, what was I saying? Yeah, I took them into, a, I, I, I'm a teacher and I went into a, um, gives me shelter to sleep in. Oh, lovely. Um, into a, a thing with dads, lots of dads at Perth College where I work and, and, uh, he's positive. Look, crossed out the, the, the clouds and nice sunshine. Um, it's as though Danny is enjoying reading the notes so much that he can't actually get through a whole thought without reading another one. And, talked to them about these sorts of things, these little things, these tiny things really that this took some ink, a pen and, and half an hour and yet that has such a resonance. It's so much more valuable than a pony. Um, and I was trying to explain to, to dads that, you know, it's not, it's not about, you know, lining their pockets. It's about lining their hearts really and trying to, trying to help, um, help us be grateful for what we've got. He makes sure I'm alive. <laughs> yeah. Well, he pays my school fees. That's very true. Um, he works hard. Bless his heart. Actually, it's quite funny because she's always telling me I never do anything. So that's <laughs> quite good. Um, so I think, although these are just paper, he trusts me. He certainly does. Um, 
he supports me. Then that's it. It's really lovely. Um, they, they're just really valuable, and I, I guess it's a nice link into what I spend a lot of my time doing. I'm funny, there you go. Um, because I write a lot and I spend a lot of time writing, um, I very often find myself um, surrounded by the shenanigans of of paper and pen and type and typeset. Um, and I was telling you earlier, I, I, I keep so many things, but I've increasingly sort of gathered an interest around things which are to do with writing. But trying to instill in them as well this sort of the, the value of, of the written word. Um, my son's a great guitarist, um, great little sax player as well. He's a little bit old, he's 14. And I keep saying, you know, where's the lyrics, mate? Come on, get on with the song, write me something, write me something. Um, but it will come. I mean, he's really, he's really good with the words. And it's so lovely that, you know, one of your kids gives you back words. I mean, I can't really think of anything more precious um, or beautiful. At this point in time, I think it's fair to say that Abby is no ordinary 11-year-old. Danny tells me it's possible that he chose this item because her compassion and her thoughtfulness are particularly on his mind today, for one extraordinary reason. So you know my daughter, she's got long, lovely hair, um, or at least she had until Sunday of this week when she went out with mum and uh, took with her a plastic bag, and mum said, what on earth is the plastic bag for? And she said, I've been growing my hair out, because once it's gone beyond, I think it was 10 inches, um, I can have it cut and donate my hair for people who can't grow hair. And um, my wife has been having a bit of a struggle this year. Uh, was diagnosed with breast cancer at the beginning of the year and has gone through uh, chemotherapy and all of those things and, and lost her hair. Um, it's growing back slowly now and all is well, thankfully. But um, for an 11-year-old to uh, completely off her own bat, to, to have um, turned down haircuts for the last three or four months without really giving any um, justification and then wait until she was at that point you know this is the kid who sits down and writes you know my dad supports me sort of letters um, is it, a real I think is really testament to you know we will look back on that time and remember you know that the day she came home in a beanie and that beanie will become part of my collection of things <laughs> so in in the future when you come back in 10 years and say what do you remember about the time we spoke 10 years ago that will be it really because that's very much on my mind and I wrote a story about it um very quickly it just kind of fell out of me and uh a publisher just yesterday said oh we really like this we really like this and said I think so who knows that might um might end up on the shelves in a couple of years' time. Danny's wife was diagnosed with cancer at the end of last year. Abby must have been growing her hair out from the time when her mother started losing hers. What I don't tell Danny at this point is that I also donated my hair to a big charity once. The reason I don't bring it up is that my hair was so long that in order to lose 10 inches, I only had to cut my hair into a fashionable 2015 bob, a change that I actually wanted to make. It's not an experience that I feel I can relate to Abby's in any way. I think back to my own time at an all-girls school, just like the one that Abby currently attends. I feel pretty certain that hell would have frozen over before I shaved my head. It's an enormous sacrifice, befitting a girl with an enormous heart. Yeah, so I think this is like a modern, this is a modern collectible for me. He's proud of me because... Um, you you can ask a, a child to do something like this as a you know as a project you know like we, we've all got Father's Day things and Mother's Day things that have come from school projects and you you kind of know that whilst there's always heart in it the bulk of that was how to get through an hour and a half at school to create something to generate something um, whereas this sort of stuff is you know she can't make this up this has to be this has to be from you know from her being which is great um, yeah I think it's about thirty of them yeah. 
friendly daddy. There you go. Danny finishes what he has to share. And while I try to poke and prod a little further, he really has to be getting back to school. We pack up and he leads me back up the stairs. I notice that sitting on one of the stacks of treasures is a couple of mugs. One of them is bright orange and decorated in the style of one of those old Penguin Edition books. This one for the book 1984. I notice it at first because I have the same one, 1984. But after a moment, I remember. I gave him that mug for Christmas 2012. It was partly a thank you gift for employing me when no one else would. Pretty unexciting gift for a teacher, really, it occurs to me now. But there it was, sitting with all the other treasures. I didn't mention it. Maybe I didn't want to find out that he'd forgotten it was from me and just liked the way it looked. But I'm still touched. I might have to take over my writing stand sometime soon so we can have a look. I think he'd love it. Thank you so much for listening to Season 1 of Odds and Ends for Curio Network. We'd like to know whether you're keen to hear more of this show, or possibly something new. If you do love this show, the best way you can let us know is to leave a rating or review on iTunes, tweet us at Odds and Ends Show, or share the show with your friends and family. Here at Odds and Ends, we're very passionate about sharing stories from people of all different descriptions. If you have a special object you would like to share with the world, send us an email at oddsandends at curionetwork.com. That's oddsandends at curionetwork.com. If you find that you have an odds and ends shaped hole in your heart that needs filling quickly, have a listen to How to Win Loot and Influence Dragons. It's another Curio podcast on which I'm featured, where we play Dungeons and Dragons and get a bit silly. To stay informed about the other shows we have to offer, like us on Facebook and Twitter at Curio Network. Odds and Ends is a production of the Curio Network and hosted by Grace Chapel. We're produced by Jackson Usid and me, Ben McAllister. Our theme music is Warm by Joey Pecoraro. There's a little um, jewellery box down there, which is um, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And it's, it's worth quite a lot of money, really, if you wanted to just put it plainly in an auction because it's an antique and we're in Australia. But, you know, when you say quite a lot of money, what's that? $250, let's say. Let's say $500. That's two shops for the family and a tank of petrol. You know, wouldn't you rather have the thing?